Thank you, brother. Appreciate you so much. Wow. All right. First Thessalonians chapter four. And uh, man. Again, church, I just I just want to I'm still just caught off guard by what y'all did. And um, I just don't even know how to focus right now. And so y'all pray for me. Thank you for praying for me. But thank you uh, just for being the incredible people of God, the incredible church family. You are. It's an honor and a privilege uh, to be your pastor. We feel most days we are not worthy of it. And uh, and God, we, we learned so much through you guys, uh, through the body and the fullness um, of each of you. And so thank you for being um, allowing us to be part of this body along with you. I think that's the best way to say it. So, all right. Okay. Say, keep it going, preacher. Keep it going. Get your, get your mind focused. Get your mind focused. We've got a sermon to preach. Or maybe y'all did that on purpose so y'all could get out early. This, this, this is reverse psychology. I feel like my kids have tried this on me sometimes. Here, Dad, have some ice cream. Wait a second. Where is this going? So we're uh, tracking through the book of Thessalonians, and, uh, and now this book takes a little different turn. And so the theme over the next several weeks, uh, except for next week when Pastor Friday from Nigeria will be here, uh, is afterlife. And, and really this is where the Apostle Paul helps the Thessalonians answer some questions about the afterlife because they are really struggling with this. And if you're new to this book of the Bible and, and trying to understand it, it's, it's written to a group of new Christians. Paul had started the church at Thessalonica, but then he had to leave prematurely because there was persecution and attacks. And so he sent Timothy back uh, to kind of help them to see how they were doing. And, um, and, he, and he wrote to them after getting Timothy's report and then wrote back. And, uh, and, and so he's helping them deal with some of their questions. And as it said earlier in the chapter, he said, I, I want to build what is lacking in your faith. I want to build what is lacking in your faith. And, uh, and how many of you know that as a Christian, you got to keep growing, right? And, and we don't, he's not talking about lacking saving faith because just a mustard seed of faith brings salvation to somebody who trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, okay? But how many of you know there's just more to continue to grow in? There's more to learn. We serve an infinite God, right? And there will always be more uh, in this life and for all eternity to come. And so the afterlife, there's a lot of questions that people have about the afterlife, right? Um, and maybe uh, I, I was going to title this. I was talking with my wife about the title of the message. And I was like, she's like, what are we talking about this? And I was like, death. And she's like, oh. And uh, she's like, can we go back to holiness? And um, holiness is hot. And uh, I said, how about death is dark? And, uh, and for some reason, that wasn't as catchy a title uh, as, as she liked. But it's an awkward conversation, right? Um, it's difficult and everybody has these questions, but we all know that, that everyone is going to die, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not like that's a surprise, but because we don't like to deal with it face to face, we all get kind of squeamish. We all get kind of uh, nervous. I was talking with some of our gentlemen uh, earlier today in their community group that meets before the service, and, uh, and they were joking around in there, and, and uh, we're talking about going to heaven, and, and me and Mr. Charles Rick were saying, yeah, well, there's an old song that, that says everybody wants to go to heaven. But nobody wants to die. And, um, and it's just this, man, there's this kind of awkwardness of dealing with it. But how do we deal with it the right way? What happens when we die? People have all kinds of answers and opinions. All different people have tried to answer it in different ways. Uh, in fact, uh, just in popular culture, there's a billion different shows and movies. Um, if I can take it old school for some of y'all, I mean, I guess it's not that old school. Probably even more old school. But there was a movie when I was growing up called uh, Ghost with old Patrick Swayze. And I think we got a picture of that, right? Some of y'all just needed for your edification to see Patrick Swayze. And, um, all right. And, 
and um, and then uh, even more recently, uh, you know, there there there's been. Uh, so there's this idea that maybe when people die, they become this disembodied spirit. You can get stuck somewhere, and if you have unfinished business, you can't go there. And there was that uh, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt show that was real popular, uh, and I, I can't remember what it is. She talked to dead people and helped them, that sort of stuff. Uh, Ghost Whisperer. There we go. Thank you. And um, and then most recently there was a movie called Coco. Cute little kids movie. I mean, just visually stunning uh, movie and, and fitting, actually, for this time of year uh, because – Halloween is the shortened form of All Hallows' Eve, which would be the remembrance of saints that have gone on. And in Latin American culture, they had um, El Dia de los Muertos. And uh, I told the worship team today, um, I, I tried to speak Spanish during the worship team meeting today. And, uh, and somebody said, if you do the whole meeting in Spanish, I'll give you all the money that is in my wallet. And, uh, and then he said it's $2. And so how many of you know for $2 I still tried? All right, I was really working, and um, and so, but that's uh, my my Spanish is very limited. Uh, but anyhow, there, there's this movie here, and 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 the idea is that when people die, they they go to some, some other place, and then the family members on this day, uh, the the day of mourning, the day of the dead, they would go uh, visit the ofrenda and, and make offerings there and, and provide a meal for their family. Um, and and again, a beautiful movie. But but is that correct when it comes to what the word of God says happens afterlife, right? It's because what you believe about the afterlife is so important. Why? First of all, everybody's going to die. I, like it's, it's, it's not like, you know, uh, hey, what I believe about uh, who's going to win the World Series, right? All right? I mean, the, the relevance to that... In your life, in my life, unless you got some money on one of those teams, it's pretty slim. You're like, okay, they can win, uh, who, who, the Astros can win, the Nats can win, won't be that big a deal. Some of you, that's a big deal. And I know for some of you in here, that's a big deal. But, but it won't have any really relevance to most of our lives. But every one of us is going to die. Every single person. 10 out of 10, I know it's a new statistic, just came out. 10 out of 10 people uh, pass away. And so how are we going to deal with this. And, and the reality is when you look at every culture, when you look at every human being, God has put something in our hearts as uh, it says in Ecclesiastes, placed eternity into us. There's a longing for something. There's a longing and a desire for something that goes on beyond the grave, even with people who don't have a belief in God. As you listen and think about foundations, I hear ads all the time like, hey, create a trust, create a foundation, create Create something so that your legacy can continue to live on. And so donate to our nonprofit. And I hear those sorts of ads all the time. But the reality is there is a longing in each of us for eternity. And so what actually happens and what goes on? And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're born. I was watching um, uh, a documentary about uh, Bill Gates. Uh, Bill Gates, yep, that would be um, the Microsoft guy. And, uh, and, and how he got burdened for people in poverty and 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 Bill Gates you know founder of Microsoft all that sort of stuff heads he's got man just all kinds of financial resources but not just financial resources he's got technological resources and he's got all this stuff and he was trying to help and he's like we're trying to help people with water but then what they realized is that they help people dig wells in Africa and help get water to people but that that still wasn't enough why because they didn't have sewage and sanitation and so even though they had wells now they had to put their feces somewhere 
and they were and they were just taking all of their nasty sludge and dumping it right into their water source. And then the kids were playing it. And the kids were drinking it. And we think that's bananas. But ladies and gentlemen, it's the only choice they got. They, they have no infrastructure. They have no plumbing. And so this was a better solution than what they had previous before they had water. And so uh, Bill Gates was just wrapped his mind around this. And, and actually, it was a story about his life, about how genius he was and how he, he found a problem. He would tackle it. So he starts to tackle this. How can we reinvent the toilet? And how can we do this? So, so he, he can't figure it out. He talks to engineers. Nobody wants to do this. And there's not a whole lot of money in it. And so he has to create like a, a competition. And, uh, and through this competition, all these different people uh, get in it. And, and hey, the winner of that, I'll use my finances to give your, your, uh, your foundation or, or your school or your university some more money. And so it got people sort of motivated to figure this out. And, uh, and so they created all these ideas because you've got to create a toilet that can't run off any power because most people don't have power. Um, you've got to create a toilet that, that can be free from a whole lot of maintenance. You've got to do all this sort of stuff and, and so that we can figure out how do we reuse people's waste. And so they had all these brilliant minds come together and they each did their different prototype. And then they gave out the awards. and Everybody was like, yeah. And now, mind you, this took a long time. It took a couple years to get the, the, the prototypes made and, and, and to schedule the conference and to, and to get everybody to do it. And they awarded the prizes. But how many know that was just the prototypes? He said, it's going to take another six years to start getting these. And now we got to figure out how do we fund getting these to people? And he said it was heartbreaking because I know that all these kids, precious little kids, die of dysentery, of diarrhea, little babies, that, that, that when our kids get diarrhea and, um, man, we, we get them some Pedialyte and, and they're good and we, and we can take care of them. He said, these kids die all the time. And so even Bill Gates, with all of his wealth, couldn't solve the problem. And, and, and then it talked about how his mom had passed away from, from breast cancer. We just think about all these people, whether you're famous, no matter how much money you have, no matter how well you do, every one of us will die. And maybe the reason we don't think about that is because that leads us to despair, right? You ever spent time in a children's hospital? I know some of our folks work here. And uh, could you imagine the, the level of despair that, that's in one children's hospital where, where children are, are suffering with life-threatening illnesses? And, and it can be very difficult emotionally for those who serve uh, in those places. Could you imagine the amount of despair in one of these villages where, where people see left and right their, their sons, their daughters, their aunts, their uncles die? regularly from preventable diseases? Could you imagine the amount of despair that's in one refugee camp that, that uh, is probably a lot like these third world villages, but now you have people coming from uh, different places and, and it just fills up with despair. And so what is, what is the encouragement here? The encouragement is that one day, as we just sung, God sent his son. He sent his son to solve the death problem for us, to solve the problem, because the, the, the worst problem isn't that we die, it's that we die separated from God, and then we'll spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And God took lengths, took steps to solve that for us. And that gives us the title of today's message, which not is death is dark, which it is true, but it gives us an invincible hope. So reach over, touch your neighbor, tell them, do you have some invincible hope? Do you have some invincible hope? Touch your neighbor on your second choice on the left side, the right side. Do you have an invincible hope? Because as we think about this, as we think about the reality of, of facing death in the afterlife, God doesn't want us to enter that, doesn't want us to live without hope. Now, a lot of people have hope, but I think we have false hopes. 
we have wishful thinking. That's not what the Bible talks about as hope. Not not just some fanciful ideas or just some wishful, uh, you know, lighthearted stuff. But we have, as one author put this, hope is a confident expectation. A confident expectation about what will come. That's what hope is. We don't need delicate and fragile hope. And I believe the Thessalonians were wrestling with this. Because as I mentioned earlier, and as you can read from the book of Acts, the Thessalonians were being persecuted. Perhaps some in their church family had died from persecution. Perhaps some had just died from natural causes. And, and, and what is our hope? And, and they, they heard the gospel, and they were like, Paul, thank you for inviting us to this new family. Thank you for giving us new life, and thank you for the promise. But, but what happens when, when, when people die? Because you said Jesus was coming back, and we kind of thought he'd be back by Wednesday. And, and, and we've lost some people. And so, Paul, help us figure out, because we're in despair about what happens to them. And so how do we have invincible hope? And so you can write this down. There's really the first question here. Uh, which is this, why is this important? And we'll navigate the, the, the first couple of verses there. Why is this important? Why is, is having hope and knowing about the afterlife so important? Well, Paul obviously thinks it's very important. Again, because everyone is going to pass away. Everyone is going to die. And in verse 13, if you'll track along with me, in verse 13, he says this. But we don't want you to be uninformed, uninformed, or maybe your translation says, we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are what? Asleep. That's a euphemism there. It's a euphemism for death. It uses it three times here in this passage. You can see it uh, in the first three verses there. About those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So let's talk about just some of these things here. Why is this so important? He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about what the afterlife is going to be like or about how to get into heaven about what happens. And honestly, it's not so different from today. There's a lot of people have opinions about death. Some people believe in reincarnation. Some people believe uh, that, that uh, you know, you'll, you'll get uh, a, a bunch of virgins. How many virgins if you, uh, if you, uh, you know, go to heaven? And, and people believe all kinds of things. Some people just believe, hey, you just die and go in the ground. That's the end of the story. And that's it. And so what, what actually is, is the Bible talking? He says, I don't want you to be uninformed here because there is a place called heaven. There is a place called hell. And these are real places. People don't just become disembodied spirits and wander from one, one world to the next. So if you're wondering, are ghosts real? The Bible would say no. Now, evil spirits are real. There might be some evil spirits. And then notice the word there, as we mentioned, asleep. And, um, and some people would, would say, and again, we just want to clarify that this is a euphemism for death, but not. there are some places that teach that there's something called soul sleep. So that when you die, you guys still with me this morning? When you die, you just, you just go to sleep and you actually don't go and be in the presence of God. But you actually sleep until Jesus comes back. And there are denominations that teach that um, throughout our country. And so that would be what we call soul sleep, but that's not what the Bible teaches. 2 Corinthians 5.8, maybe you're familiar with this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.8, we'll put it on the screen, says this. Yes, we are of good courage, right? We're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and where? And at home with the Lord. Maybe you memorize it. My pastor used to say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? And, um, and then Jesus said in the book of Luke to a, a thief on the cross. This is a thief on the cross dying with Jesus. And he says, today, when? Today. You will be with me where? 
in paradise, in heaven. And so he says, today you will be with me. So that's how we know that this is not talking about like, well, you know, if we die, we just go to sleep for a long time until Jesus wraps up history. And then uh, we get to go to heaven. Our, our spirit is immediately present with the Lord. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so he says, man, you can have hope. Why is this important? You can have hope. Because he says, there are some people who grieve. And grieving's not wrong. How many of you know that's not wrong? It's not wrong to grieve. He's not saying it's wrong. Grief is a completely natural response to what I like to say is unnatural event because God didn't create us to die back in the Garden of Eden. God created us to live forever in fellowship with Him, but sin has broken that. And so now here we are. He's saying grieve. I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. So Christians should be grieving differently. And how many of you know that, that how you picture your future makes a big difference, right? Let's take some kids, and I appreciate we got kids here um, in the, in, and gathered with us today. And think about a kid, right, as they're beginning the school year, right? And, uh, and they got a test that week. How are they feeling? Versus a kid who is on the last week of school, right before summer vacation. Right? Same kid, same school, two very different heart feelings, right? Right? How are they feeling the last week of school? Yeah, we ready. Why? Because they have a hope of what's to come, right? They're excited about that. But then you take a kid who, who is just starting school. He's got to get all his notebooks and pencils and get all that stuff. And there's fear. And, there's, and I know I got a test coming up. And uh, oh my gosh, right? He's thinking about what's in his future. And so what you believe about the future, what you believe about your future, has an impact on how you live today. Think about a woman or a man who just signed divorce papers. What, how are they feeling? How are they thinking about their future versus a woman or a man who just said, I do. Two very different feelings, two very different perspectives, because what you believe about your future impacts how you live Today, So why is this important? Because what you believe about the afterlife, what future you believe is coming and what you believe about that has a major impact for your eternity, but also on your day to day life. Amen. And so we think through that. And so even for believers, some of us are not living with a confident hope about heaven. Maybe some of us are uninformed about heaven. Right. And, and we're just not encouraged by that. Maybe you think, as I thought for a long time. Heaven is going to be like one long worship service. And I kind of thought, you know what, I like worship services, but I get kind of tired. And uh, I don't know how many, I don't know if I could sing songs for eternity. I need to sit down for a little bit, you know. And, uh, and I like preaching, and I like listening to preachers, but I don't know if I could do that for all eternity. That, if I were honest, can we be honest? Y'all are looking so sanctified and smug there as I look at y'all. I can't, I can't tell if there's one real person in here yet. And, um. Uh, and listen, I'm the, I'm the pastor, and I love gathering with y'all, but, I mean, one long, unending worship service might be a little bit like hell to me. I mean, I'm just saying, right? Can I just be honest, right? Right? That's okay. I know y'all looking so spiritual today. And, um, but, I mean, where, are we going to be babies? Like, just fat, pudgy, naked babies strumming a harp on a cloud? You know? Like, and, uh, and so, man, God has so much to say about heaven and eternity. And, and God, think about what God created here for us on earth and think as I was talking with some friends, they were talking about going snorkeling and all that sort of stuff. And we were talking about their trip to Hawaii. And, um, and it was a beautiful trip as they talked to me about that. And, and, um, and, but it was just awesome. But if this world, which is infected by sin, 
is, is incredible and glorious and beautiful. How much greater is heaven? I mean, it can't even pale. And, 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 and there are things to do in heaven. And we don't have time to go into all that today, but I just want us to be encouraged because sometimes Christians have a wrong theology and it impacts us today. We should be looking forward to the return of Christ. We should be looking forward to heaven because it's going to take everything that we loved on this earth and the purity of relationships and honor and love and beauty. And, and it's, it's going to be perfect and untainted by sin. And so we should be encouraged by that. But as, as in uh, our day, there are many people who are not thinking about eternity, not preparing for that. There are many people in the Thessalonian day. And, uh, and although the Greeks had their uh, ideas and they had their Greek mythology, and right, you know, maybe you saw the movies or you read the stories where they put coins on the people's eyes and those sorts of things. They do that sort of stuff because you're going to go through the sleeve. We're going to put you on this boat and then you'll wake into the netherworld and you know, all that sort of stuff. But at this time in history, historians tell us that the people in the Greek culture, the people in Thessalonica, had been infected with a, a serious level of despair. They had kind of given up hope on this. And so some of the, the famous philosophers and poets said uh, some of these things. Listen to some of the quotes that were popular back then. Aeschylus, who's one of the Greek uh, philosophers, said this, Of a man once dead, there is no resurrection. That's it. Theocritus said this, Hopes are among the living. The dead are without hope. Catalyst said, suns may set and rise again. But we, when once our brief life goes down, must sleep an endless night. Lucretius said this, no one awakes and rises who has once been overtaken by the chilling end of life. It's a pretty encouraging culture to live in, right? So even... Many years ago, they were dealing with the, the despair of, man, what, what happens and, and what do we have to look forward to? In fact, archaeologists have found an inscription actually at Thessalonica when they were doing a dig. And it says this on the inscription that they found. It says, after death, there is no revival. After the grave, no meeting of those who have loved each other here on earth. And so hopelessness and despair really prevailed and permeated through their culture at that time. And so why is this important? Because what you believe about the future impacts everyday decisions. How you live, how you can navigate, right? The, the, the difficulties of what's going on, how you, how you deal with paying the bills, how you deal with tragedy in your own life right now, how you deal with suffering right now on, on a Sunday and a Monday and Tuesday, that's impacted by what you believe is coming. And when you know that God has, has made a promise to us and you know that he has promised good and you have a confident hope, you have an invincible hope for, for what is going to happen, it allows you to live with hope for today. It allows you to keep your head far above water. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, as the song goes. And so, man, what is it? So if, if you're a non-believer here today, and I don't assume that every time we gather there are always believers with us or a mix of people. If you're a non-believer today, knowing what to believe about eternity has, has a huge impact on you. What you believe about the afterlife has a huge impact on you. And, and we would point you to Jesus Christ who said, I have come so they may have life and abundant life. We come to point you to John 3.16, right? This the, the simplest but most profound verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We point you to Jesus who said also in the Gospel of John, 
He said, I am the resurrection. Not I can resurrect. Not I know about resurrection, but I, I am the resurrection. And knowing me means knowing resurrection. We point you to know Christ personally. And he has come to wipe away all your sins. Because what keeps a person from entering heaven is not church membership. It's, not, it's having your sins wiped away. And Jesus said, I will cleanse all of your sins. Everyone, there's nothing that you could do that God can't wash away. There's nobody who, who, would, who would be written off of God's list if you would come to him. If you would submit to him, if you turn your life, your brokenness. And really, that's the story of every member here at Plaza. We're all broken people who could not make it to heaven. We're all broken people who couldn't save ourselves. We're all broken people who couldn't fix ourselves. And God stepped in and saved us. And so you'd be joining a great group of people who have walked a very similar road that you have needed to walk. And so for the non-believer, what you believe about this is so important. And for the believer, again, how do you walk with invincible hope? I love what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Such an encouraging verse. It says, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How I many you know that gives you invincible hope? That we don't have to be afraid anymore because death has been destroyed. And we have an invincible hope that when the darkest night of our soul comes to each and every one of us and comes to every one of our families, we can stand with an invincible hope that we're going to get back up again. He has destroyed death. And then 1 Corinthians 15, I love the passage there. 1 Corinthians 15 beginning in, in uh, verse 50. Four says this, when the perishable has been made and clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in what? Victory. We have an invincible hope because death has been swallowed. I read an article, especially around, you know, it's Halloween time. People are getting all spooked or whatever and, and worried about that stuff. The article is entitled, When Jesus Haunts Your Halloween. When Jesus Haunts Your Halloween. And he talked about how all the demons, how all the spiritual forces, how the devil himself bow and tremble before the one who has defeated them. And if you read the Bible, and, and when Jesus steps on the scene, even as the Son of Man, and, and he steps in the presence of demons, the demons are like, please, Jesus, we beg you, please be kind to us. Don't do this to us. And that's true for every person here, because Christ lives inside of us. And death has been swallowed up and so we need not fear it so i love that verse there swallowed in victory and then it goes on in verse 55 where oh death is your victory where oh death is your sting the sting of death has been removed verse 56 the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law verse 57 but thanks be to god that he gives us what victory through our lord jesus christ why does this matter because every day how you live with the hope of the future, with the hope of eternity impacts your daily decisions. And so, believer, non-believer alike, what are you thinking about eternity? What are you doing about that? And so that's important. Why is that important? Second question that he talks about here in these verses is, what is going to happen? What is going to happen? What is going to happen here? He's talking about the return of the Lord. And, and Paul gives us a very 
basic and succinct. There's so much to be said about the return of Christ. There's so much to be said in the Bible about that. And, and Christians love to get over in all kinds of tangents about, well, this happened in the tribulation and this and that and, and all this sort of stuff. And people love to ask pastors all kinds of questions about that. It seems to be people's favorite topic. And I love how Paul just kind of gives them the basics and the simplicity here, especially as a new church plant. You guys are new believers. Here's the key things you need to know. And he keeps it simple for the saints. That acronym would be KISS. You can change your acronym KISS. I know some of y'all learned it a different way. Keep it simple. Saints. Keep it simple. Saints. All right, just helping you. Power of life and death in the sun. Look at verse 14 with me. It says this. Look at verse 14. Here's what our hope is in, right? What's going to happen? He reminds us first of what already did happen so that we have facts to back up our faith. Verse 14. For since we believe... Hey, notice that those words there, we believe, that's the Greek word for creed, right? We believe, and that's where that came from. In fact, some of the creeds don't say I believe, but say we believe. We believe that Jesus, what? Died. Jesus died. That's the first part. So he's rooting their hope in the gospel. He always takes them back to the gospel, rooted, saturated in the gospel. He says he died. Why did he die? He died for the sins of the world. As it says in the first chapter of Thessalonians, in verse 10, it says this. We're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from what? The wrath to come. God's wrath comes upon sin, and each one of us has sinned. Each one of us has transgressed God's law, and we owe God. But praise be to God that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. In 1 John 2 too. I love this verse here. Such a simple and sweet verse, but it says this. He is the propitiation. Y'all love that word, propitiation, for our sins. But not only our sins, but also for the sins of who? The whole world. God came to save everybody. As I said, no one is excluded if you would surrender to him, if you would submit your life to him. But that word propitiation there, right? That's a fun word. Reach over, touch your neighbor, say, you know what propitiation means? Right? That's that's the word we use. If you were around here a few years ago, we went through a series on First John. We actually talked about this word and a propitiation and expiation. Uh, both kind of work together. Expiation is the other side of this. And here's how I remember it. Because listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not all that smart either. All right. I'm glad nobody said amen. So I appreciate that. And, um, and so um, expiation means like you had an ex. Right. There was something, but now we're not something. That's my ex. Right. The Bible says, stay with me now. The wrath of God was due upon every person because we had sinned against God. The Bible says for all have sinned. How many? All, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We deserve. I deserve. You deserve. Everything deserves God's good and just wrath because we have violated his plans. We have lied. We have cheated. We have stolen. We have ignored God. We have not loved him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. But it says, watch. He is, he is the propitiation and the expiation. Jesus is the one that removes that wrath. So now the wrath is our ex. You can break up with the wrath of God. Okay, you can break up with sin and say that is your ex. But now we're on to propitiation. And the first part of that is pro. And if I say I am pro Caleb Carruthers, and I'm cheering for Caleb Carruthers at the Special Olympics tournament, right? If I'm pro Caleb, because I'm pro, it means I am for him. So not only, this is the beauty of the gospel, not only is the wrath of God removed from us, but God is now for you. God is for us. So he's not just like, all right, you, 
bad sinners. I, I, I sent Jesus now. Now my wrath is removed from you. Now figure it out and, and get yourselves together, you bunch of ninnies who messed up my world. No, the Bible says God is for us, his propitiation, and it's all through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why he died. Back to the, the verse there. So it says he died. But that's not the end of the story, right? He's rooting their hope in the gospel. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died, what's the next part? And rose again and rose again. Even so, through Jesus Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so now he's talking about the resurrection. And the resurrection is proof. There are eyewitnesses to the resurrection. So our faith isn't cheap and, and, and hollow faith. Our hope isn't cheap and delicate hope. Our hope in the resurrection, our hope for resurrection for us is backed up by facts because Jesus came back. They couldn't prove, they couldn't, all they had to do was, was you're the bones, but his body is gone. And then you have over 500 witnesses who Jesus appeared to left and right, left and right. And so our faith that we have is backed up, backed up by facts. Many people have a false hope in all kinds of things. Many people believe, right, um, uh, different religions teach things. Or maybe you'll be reincarnated, right? Well, that's just an opinion. What, what do we have to back that up? What, is there something? Some people believe in reincarnation. And if you, if you, if you, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you'll come back as a butterfly. Maybe you'll come back as a naked mole rat. Um, and, and really, here's what separates Christianity from all other religions is that Christianity is is, is showing us the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, not based upon our works, where in reincarnation and, and religions that teach reincarnation, it's, hey, you have to work really, really hard in order to get up to the next level. So if you were bad, you're probably going to come back as a naked role, mole rat and, um, or a worm or something like that. You know? But if you're good, maybe you'll elevate up. You'll get to the next income tax bracket. Or maybe you'll become uh, the, the sultan or the king or the queen of your own island, but you've got to be really, really good. And the Bible tells us the truth. That we try to be good, and we have all failed, but we have a good God who comes and picks us up. And so all other religions are works-based, whereas Christianity is grace-based. So he says, man, we, this is where our, our hope is in. We don't have blind faith, but we have faith in the resurrection. He says, who will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So he says, we're gonna bring, he's going to bring with them those who have fallen asleep, so their spirits are going to come back. Right, verse 15, notice again how he backs us up. For this we declare to you by a what? By a word of the Lord. He's saying we're making a declaration, we're making a strong statement here based upon God's very own word. This is not a human opinion, not uh, just somebody's idea because they were facing death and they had these questions. They say, look, here's a word from God. This is what's going to happen. So he says we declare to you. This based upon the word of God that though that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And so he's just kind of helping explain that. He says, No, no, no. It's all gonna happen at the right time. Verse 16. For the Lord Himself, don't you love that? For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then verse 17, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord, right? So he gives us a very simple statement about what happens when Jesus comes back. 
and it's clear, it's easy. And he talks about the fact that though people, because they're saying, what happened to my, 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 my dead relative or the dead people? And he says, no, they're with Jesus. Their spirit is with Jesus. Their body is here. And then he says, their body, when Christ comes back, he's going to raise their bodies. How does he do that? Can he figure it out? If they were, if they were uh, buried, if, if they were cremated, if God, because some people say, Pastor, is cremation okay? Listen, if God could make us out of dust the first time, you think he's going to have a problem making us out of dust again the second time? He knows every molecule. His brain is that amazing to care about every molecule, every atom, cork uh, in the universe. He has no problem figuring out all of my cells and which ones in the ash pile are mine and which ones came from the box. Okay? And so he knows. And so it's not too difficult for him. And so it says, the dead and cries shall rise first. Shall rise first. Y'all, y'all want to hear an old uh, corny preacher joke? Somebody said, why is it that the dead in Christ rise first? They said, well, here's a very profound and deep theological answer. He said, because they got six feet further to go than the rest of us. Then I had an old preacher, and, uh, you know, at the end of the service, it's a time for response, and the pastor is giving the message, and we're praying for people, all that sort of stuff. And some people, you know, like to get up and leave early, and so some churches are like, don't you get up and leave early? And, uh, and so... I heard a pastor say to the congregation, he said, yeah, the dead in Christ will rise first at this church. In other words, if you're dead in Christ, you'll be rising first and going for the back door. And, um, and so I know everybody's going to be like, oh, man, I ain't going nowhere during the response today. And I was like, whew. All right. I wouldn't say that to you. The Bible might say that to you. Huh? <laughs> and so, but he just, he just gives it short and simple. And he says, we're going to meet together when Christ returns. And, 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 and if you're here when Christ returns, or if your spirit is in heaven and your body's here on earth, all together, it says, we're going to meet together in the air. And, and it's talking about in the heavenly realms. And so he gives them the short, simple answer. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 51, we read a little bit earlier, but he says this. Uh, it, it's a little more of an explanation. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed. Hey, by the way, that's a great verse to put in the nursery. All right, that's free. That's free today. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Go ahead and y'all put that up in the nursery. And if you got a little baby, just put it up above their crib. Okay. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised and perishable and we will be changed. We'll get glorified new bodies. Verse 53, for the perishable must close it, clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And so here's the basics. And this is what he's saying to them. People are like, well, what about this? What about this? Listen, some of us spend way too much time worrying about the rapture and all the details when you should be worried about, number one, are you saved and do you know the Lord? And then number two, if you're saved and know the Lord, are you walking with him in holiness? Are, are, you, are you living and displaying the glory of God for others to see? Some of us are so worried about the rapture and, and, and making the timeline, and Christians can waste their lives talking about that. And I'm not saying it's not important, but God has made it clear to us what we're here to do. And so here's a summary, right? Number one, Jesus is coming back again. Number two, he's coming for his church, which means all believers. You're a believer in Christ. Number three, the dead in Christ will not miss this event because they were worried about Man, you know, such and such that will they will they miss this event? No, they're going to be coming with him, and their body and spirit will be reunited. How he does that's beyond my comprehension, but he's in charge. Number four, when he comes, there will be a glorious reunion with Christ. Won't it be awesome? And then number five, the expectation of this event 
is to be a reason for great encouragement, right? And so look, look with me one more time at verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always, how often? Always be with the Lord. And that brings us to the next point, the closing part of this. So what? So what? Okay, I knew that, Pastor. I knew that. So what? Why does, what's the big deal about this? Christ is going to return. He'll reunite believers in their bodies. We're going to spend eternity with him. So what? Man, the Bible tells us in verse 18 there, now take this and encourage one another with this, right? Look at this is a short verse. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Why? Because everybody's going to die and they're going to need the encouragement of the hope of the resurrection, an invincible hope. They're going to need joy. They're going to need that to get us through that. We're going to need that. So he says, encourage one another. I love how in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, this is an encouraging verse to share. It says, this is Jesus speaking. He who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things what? New, all things. Your body, new. Relationships restored and renewed. You don't have to worry about the drama that relationship uh, struggles and strife bring here on this earth where family members are arguing. So God said, I'm going to make all this stuff new. Everything will be made new in its glorious original intention. So encourage one another with that. And so, can I ask you a question as we leave today? Do you really believe that Jesus is going to return? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that he could return at any moment? And how should we live differently? When you think about that, Jesus could come back at any moment. How should you and I live? I was thinking about that in the parking lot, right? Because I was getting a little frustrated about some things. You know how it is, getting kids going in the morning, and, and you got to be here, and you got to be there, you got to be, you know, and I was just getting a little frustrated. And I was just thinking about this. Lord, if you came right now, I'd be looking real dumb in my little frustration and my pity party about breakfast and, and who they didn't do this and, the, and this and that. And I'd, I'd be looking real foolish. I'd let a lot of things go that I'm trying to hold on to, right? Some of us, you're, you're wrapped in sin. You're entangled in something right now. Can I just lovingly tell you, Jesus comes back. You want to find that you're entangled in that? No. Allow the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to pull you out of that temptation. Some of you, you don't know Christ here this morning, and he's going to come back for his bride. And if you're not part of his bride, you will not be going with him. I love you, and God is calling you to be part of his family. Some of you here this morning, you don't know Christ. And, and all you need to know is he paid for your sins and you need to give him your life. And he won't cast you aside. He says, whosoever, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Sir, ma'am, you could be saved today. Do you know for sure? Or are you playing games with God? Are you basing it upon something else other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are you basing it upon your wife? Are you based upon your husband? Are you based upon your sister, your brother, your aunt, your uncle was a preacher? Or do you know Christ personally? We'd love to help you with that now during this response time. There's a connection card. You can put it on your connection card. You could mark it on there. You could come forward during this response time. We'd love to help you myself. Some of our elders and deacons will be here to pray with you. You respond to God however he calls you to respond. Maybe you're just going to continue to sing and just say, thank you, God, because I have a confident expectation. I can't wait. I can't wait for the return of Christ. Maybe you're going to be praying. Maybe you're going to be praying for lost loved ones. Because listen, hey, when we're talking about those who don't know Christ, 
we're encouraging them. Verse 18 says, but encourage one another. You're encouraging people. There's hope after the grave. I know you're in mourning right now. I know you're not sure about what happens, but I want to encourage you. You can have hope. Let's share hope. Sometimes we think we're talking about evangelism and sharing Christ. We're going to share all this. It's sharing good news. There is hope. And so we're going to pray together. And as we pray, we're going to prepare for our response time as our worship team will come forward. And so let's bow together in a word of prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the return of the King. Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know his promise is true because Lord, we think about all the promises that that you set into motion, Lord, to come to the earth the first time. And Lord, all those prophecies, every one of them came true. And you came as the Son of God. You came, Christ, robed in flesh. And Lord, you loved us. He showed us what it's like. And Father, we just thank you, Lord. And God, you made a promise to die on the cross for our sins, to take the penalty for us, Lord. And you promised that you would die. You promised that you would not just die, but you would rise again. And every one of those promises has come true. And then you said to us, I will be back. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come again. Lord, thank you that you're coming again. Thank you that that's not built upon a preacher. That's not built upon a church. That's built upon what you said, the very words of God. So, Lord, thank you that we can have an invincible hope. Because as they tried to kill hope over 2,000 years ago, hope exploded out of the grave, out of the ashes. Hope will arise. The king, the king is alive. Lord, we honor you today. Speak to our hearts. For those in here today that don't know Christ, you feel the Lord has been speaking to you. You know you need to give your life to Christ. You just want to pray something quietly there in your heart. You might say something as simple as this. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. I know that I've sinned against you. But I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you rose again. And I'm putting my trust in only you. Putting my trust in only you. Help me, Jesus, to live for you all the days of my life. Help me, Jesus, to live for you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it sincerely, you can be rest assured God knows your heart. God knows you as his child. You can be welcomed into his kingdom. We'd love to celebrate with you again. You can come forward during this time or response. You can put it on a connection card. You could talk to your neighbor about it, the person who brought you to church today, and, and tell them, hey, look, I prayed that for the first time. I'm a believer. They just want to celebrate you. They don't want to embarrass you. So, Father, hear our cry today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Let's stand to your feet as the Lord leads you, and we'll be here.